Welcome film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda, and let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. Welcome to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. Here's an interesting little tidbit. There have been siblings working together in the craft of filmmaking since its beginning. In fact, you could say it started with two brothers, uh, Louis and Jacques Lemire, who created what we affectionately call cinema back in the 1890s. Uh, Throughout the 20th century, you had legends in comedy, uh, the Marx Brothers, uh, the Zucker Brothers. Uh, In the 1990s, uh, the Coen Brothers brought neo-noir to the forefront as well as the Wachowskis, who reinvented the action genre. Uh, And as of late, uh, the Russo brothers, most notably, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But one thing you may notice is that as I went through that list, except for the Wachowskis, who underwent a gender transition over the last few years, the list does not contain any sister pairings. Uh, Well, today I am joined by two sisters, uh, twins actually, who are directors, content creators, and filmmakers, and I think are destined to be included on that list one day. I am very excited to welcome Maria Jose and Carla Noriega to the podcast today. Ladies, welcome. We are so excited to have you here. Hola, hola. Thank you for having us here. Thank you so much, Harry. That was such a beautiful introduction. We appreciate it. So here's the important question. Which one of you is the big sister? Me. You. For two minutes. Two minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm, I think I'm the biggest sister. Just I kick her out of the womb. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. She kicked so me out. Do you tell people that, you know, we've been living together all our life. We started out as womb mates. Yes. I mean, you think the fact that you are created together. I mean, what uh, other such a deep connection you can have with another human being than just being together in the same space in such a tight place. And, you know, that's why she kicked me out of the womb. Yes. Some people like sometimes our partners ask, why do you like always together? And like, I don't know, subconsciously, we, we just the sofa could be huge. And then we're in one corner. Being twins, they're it's a special relationship that I don't think people can relate to unless they have it. I, I have twin nieces. So shout out to Jackie and Chrissy. It's a special thing that you just don't know unless you are. It's just a magical. And we have a lot of experience, like connection. Like I'm thinking of a song and she thinks she starts singing or things like that. So yeah, I mean, it's... You share a brain. Exactly. Exactly. We do. Like the other day, I'm like, I went to her apartment. Did you just eat? And we live separate. Sweet potatoes for lunch. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, I ate the same thing. And these things happen all the time to us. Take him back to when, you know, after you came out of the womb, growing up, what was your childhood like? Playing together. Yeah. Actually, we we started directing together. We have like, we used to play with a lot of like boy toys. We were not like the Barbie type, honestly. <laughs> no, I, I have a video stepping on a doll. But uh, we used to grab like little toys and then we start making like little plays together and then little stories. And then I will be like in the commercial breaks. We will watch a lot of TV. And then I will grab like a notebook and I will start drawing stories. And then my sister will come and then we will start making like like this story together. It's just, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. It was very magical because we, we got each other basically all the time. Yes. And I feel we 
subconsciously, I mean, we were storyboarding without knowing we were storyboarding. We were grabbing toys and making scenes without knowing we were making scenes. In all this playing, we were creating without realizing that eventually it was going to translate into a career together. Because we decided to study the same. We went to school together. We have the same teachers. We shared the car. We just did everything together. So then growing up, you were born in Mexico and then you moved around a little bit before eventually uh, ending up in Miami. Can you take us a little bit through that journey? Okay. So we grew up in Mexico. We're like third generation Mexican. We absolutely love Mexico. But since we were little, I guess around 12, I started to have dreams that we were going to, that I was on set. And then one day I had the realization, I'm, I want to be a filmmaker. And my sister's like, me too. And I'm like, you copy me. <laughs> yes. Anyways, she tag alone. We are from Guadalajara, which is a beautiful city. But back then, film was not a she career. It was not even like Mexico City a bit more. You have more, you know, you have Televisa, you have all of these things, but you didn't have a career. So we're like, okay, we have to go to the United States. And so we told our parents and uh, they were not very excited about it because they correlated being a filmmaker basically with like, quote unquote, my parents told me like, you're going to become a prostitute. And I'm like, no, I just like want to be a filmmaker. And I was like, we're just going to have to do it. So we decided to come to the United States as nannies. The day we told like my mom we're doing it, um, she threw a chancleta at those, like literally like a chancleta, like, no. Um, well, we still did it. So we came here because first we were looking at universities at, at schools, but they were like outrageous. It was just like we, we went to several schools in, in, in LA. And I want to step in there and say that uh, because it was so expensive, we, we didn't saw the possibility how we're going to make it into a film. There was no film. All There was communications, which is not what we wanted to do. And then on top of that, all these expenses, how can we afford it? So we decided, okay, why don't we go one year to work as an open? her as a nanny never done it before uh and then we find a scholarship and that's exactly what we did we went work as a nannies uh, which was harder than we expected and then find a scholarship here in florida so got the support of you know florida and decided to go you know to study here but to our surprise, the Miami Bay College did had a film career, which back then we said, okay, we might go FAU or we, to study advertisement. But then we found out there's a film school, actually, that we can switch. And that's when, uh, I think you want to mention about, we told our parents, actually, we, are, we got a scholarship. They were super happy. But as we just came here to Miami, we told them, look, we're not going to study advertisement. We're going to study film. And that's when the chocolate happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was kind of very interesting is... Like, I remember researching, like, some of the greatest directors and looking at these film schools that were, like, yeah, they had all the equipment. Some of them were even in very, like, cool and famous part of Hollywood. And you look the list and there's really, like, not super famous director coming out of that. But when you look at, like, James Cameron, when you look at Iñárritu, when you look at Cuarón, they come from, like, college. They come from, you know, like, random places that nobody really knows. So that's when we decided to find a scholarship and that's when... Uh, Miami Day happened, which is an amazing program. It really is. We talked on previous episodes about educating filmmakers, part of the bigger conversation about the cost of education. Myself, having gone through the Miami Day College film program, I think it's great. And I will put the talent and creativity of the MDC film students up against anyone else, aside from like the NYU, USC, UCLA. I mean, that's talking like, that's like the Alabama 
Georgia, Ohio State of football film school version, but any other film school. The challenge with Miami Dade College is, is just getting exposure outside of South Florida. Yeah. So it's starting to happen. I don't think necessarily, I mean, all those great schools that are very expensive, I mean, they are great schools. And if you have the money to afford them, go ahead and you can pay and you're not going to get yourself into debt. But if you don't want to get into a big debt because you don't have the money and you want a great education and find the same opportunities, of course, you do need to work the networking exposure yourself. It's fantastic. And that's what it is. You know, NYU being in New York, USC, UCLA being in California, in LA, you're, you're right in the two hubs outside of Atlanta. And it's the years of tradition, huge alumni networks, networking. Please, no one takes this. I'm not saying those students and people that come out are not talented. Just saying that there's a reason that those schools are where they are and why they cost so much. And just not everybody has the means to get there, but it doesn't mean that you can't be just as creative. And we actually had an amazing experience that was last year in, in September. Um, we actually went and shoot a project for Hulu celebrating the, the Hispanic um, culture and the, and the proudness of, of being Latino, Latina. The hotel that we stayed at, the producers put, put us in, was exactly next door to one of the universities that we went and saw. And it was just like so expensive. It was like, this is just not, you know, it's, it's impossible. And the fact that we were right next to this super you know expensive university that was promising all of this success and we didn't go that way but we were still there we were still in hollywood filming uh, just shows that it doesn't really matter if you have the resources or not really what comes down is to do you really love this is this something that you're like always dream about? Is this something you're passionate? That's it. Like the money will come, the resources will come, the people will show up, the opportunities, anything will show up. It's just a matter of loving it and allow yourself to do it, to follow it. Exactly. I love that. And speaking of, of Mexico and filmmakers and opportunity, I recently read Robert Rodriguez's book, Rebel Without a Crew. Anybody who is a student or independent filmmaker, you need to read this. Because it's basically his diary of when he made El Mariachi for about $7,000, going back and forth between the border town in Texas and, and Mexico. And like you said, using the resources, begging, making it work. It's really a uh, inspiring to me. So I want to ask to both of you, who were your inspirations and influences? I'm a big, big fan of Cuaron. Um, I'm also, I always forget his name because he's Italian, but the director of uh, Cinema Paradiso. Bertolucci. Bertolucci. Bernardo yes. Bertolucci. Bertolucci is like one of our, our biggest inspirations. Iñárritu, we just actually watched uh, Bardo yesterday, the newest uh, Iñárritu film. Bardo. It's on Netflix. Bardo. Bardo. It's, I think as a filmmaker and as a director, and especially if you're Mexican, uh, living between both countries, you can really identify. But I think any filmmaker will identify a lot. Uh, I will add uh, Guillermo del Toro. He's actually from our city. Uh, I really love especially his early work, the Pants, I always say it wrong, but Pants Labyrinth. His work is just so beautiful. And Iñárritu too, we're very inspired by this talent of Mexican directors that have been New Mexican showing, wave. New Mexican wave. Uh, but there's so many beautiful and inspiring directors that we absolutely love. There's this um, female director, I always forget her name. She directed Mustang. It's a Turkish friend film. That's one of the most beautiful films we've ever watched. And it's just oh, the topic, like the... The sensitivity. And, you know, mentioned directors and filmmakers and inspiration. There's the old adage that uh, good filmmakers borrow from other filmmakers, great filmmakers steal. Um, but speaking of filmmakers, I want to just kind of switch gears a little bit. I mentioned the Wachowskis in my introduction. Uh, when the original Matrix trilogy was made, they were known as Andy and Larry Wachowski before going through 
gender transition. Uh, they're now known as Lana and Lily. LGBTQ plus is a topic that I know is very important to you both personally and as artists. Um, it's something that's also very big, definitely like in this area. Can you talk about why it's so important to you both? Absolutely. I mean, I feel because when we came to Florida, we were inside of the closet and then we have a whole transformation. We became Buddhist and then we're able to coming out of the closet, which is another story. But I feel the film, even just growing up, like watching the L world or watching all these movies that were part of the LGBTQ plus uh, community, we were able to identify and understand who we were. It gave us a definition of, yes, that's what I want, that this feels more home than the other rest of movies that I see. So uh, for me, and uh, I dare to say for, for both of us, you know, being part of the LGBTQ Q plus community has shaped us towards realizing that also the need for content that it is for our uh, community. Because um, not saying I don't love the other rest of the movies, but when you see there's a lag or there's not a lot of great movies and you have uh, movies, for example, that are identify myself as uh, lesbian and you see they gave it to a male and you're like, why did they do that? Even though there's really fantastic males that have directed some of my favorite uh, movies. Like a man, how what I love that movie. But it's just it has gave us a mission to keep creating content for our LGBTQ plus community because we feel we need other people to also identify the, the way we did and we want to give quality content to to what is what we feel home. And I think it's also it, it shapes you a lot because when you grow up, um, at least in our experience, and I think a lot of people have the experience where Guadalajara is a very big city and again beautiful, but it's still very conservative. And when you are growing up being told that what you are is not okay, it, it creates a lot of a lot of each internal issues. And so a lot of the, the topics we, we've been exploring through recent films are focused into that. We just shot a short film last year um, that touched that topic of, of how that creates this inner conflict and that it creates a lot of perfectionism and also insecurities. We hope to release that short film soon so we can share. But yeah, we, we're also starting to create a lot of content with that topic, but also that it doesn't necessarily have to focus, let's say like in the plot of like a lesbian or, or gay relationship, but that it's already kind of like integrated in the narrative. It, it's not like the topic, but it's kind of like the characters can be going through a specific journey and they happen to be like lesbian or homosexual, whatever, or trans, but they, we don't have to like emphasize that, that it doesn't have to be that thing. Just, I think we have to normalize it more and more and make the content more inclusive, every type of content. And Carly, you brought up a good point about a lesbian, you know, movie about lesbians being directed by a man. And I brought this up num numerous times. Uh, you know, I hope our dedicated listeners don't think, oh, he's bringing this up again. One of my favorite, I guess, like anecdotes or sound bites about this, uh, Denzel Washington a few years back was given an interview about, I think it was Fences. And the question was pretty much asking me, should black movies be directed by black directors? And he said, it's it's not a color thing. It's a culture thing. And he used as an example, Martin Scorsese made Goodfellas and Steven Spielberg made Schindler's List, two probably of the five greatest American movies ever made. But he said Spielberg could have made Goodfellas and it would have been a good movie. Scorsese could have made Schindler's List and it would have been good movies. But they don't have that culture experience that ties into it. And I think that's a big part of, of what of what you said. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you're in those shoes and you have to leave, go through, not being able to express and say who you are. I actually, funny enough, I remember when we started studying... <laughs> We were doing short films and a lot of the feedback we were getting is they're great, but they're missing soul. And all that happened while we're, we were inside of the closet. So then we have the realization, if we don't come out of the closet and, and really accept ourselves and embrace who we are, that's going to damage our art. 
actually coming out of the closet in a way was like an artistic decision because I need to be able to speak who I am. Otherwise, I'm censoring my art, my film, my scripts, and then it's taking a toll on what I'm doing. So we came out of the closet and that's where we start feeling everything start flowing better. And our short films start having more, you know, uh, lesbian characters, bisexuals. It was necessary to do so. Yeah. And there's also a big debate. I mean, the filmmaker side of it is good, but there's also a lot of debate going on about the actual actors and actresses portraying, you know, should a lesbian character be played by lesbian? And it's even veered into religion. I'm Jewish. I'm a straight white male Jewish guy from New York. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I think, is one of the greatest shows TV, especially when you get that. But people are like, oh, but she's not. Rachel Brosnahan isn't Jewish. And to me, it's like, yes, but that goes against what acting is. It's, it's. I think it's a good conversation to have, but it's kind of, are you acting or are you looking for someone to almost play a different real version of, of themselves? Like when I've acted, I want to be as far away my normal self as I could be. If somebody is like, hey, Howie, we're looking for a middle-aged neurotic Jewish guy. Yeah, no, I play that role every day. I don't want to do that. So, I mean, what do you think? Should the best actor play those roles or should it be geared towards somebody as an actor who actually has that experience, knows that culture? I mean, and I think you mentioned it. Um, your answer was fantastic, which is that's the whole point of acting. You know, that like the whole craft of acting that to be somebody that that you're not and to learn that character and to like go and like research and, and do all of these things to kind of like really understand and put your, yourself and put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. I think that that would be going I, I find it unnecessary i think that's you know going a little bit too far yes uh, i agree to that i feel if the actor is skillful i mean i've seen a straight woman play lesbian characters doing in such a beautiful way and i'm not saying men cannot direct beautiful lesbian movies one of my favorites has been directed by a man but i'm just saying you know of course if the person has the skill and in the acting specifically i feel yes i mean it, it's acting i agree yes i don't see a problem to that exactly so i have one more very important question before we wrap up this first segment. Who truly has the best or most authentic Mexican food in Miami? I do have an answer to that. I, there's new ones that I have not tried, so I'm not saying, but there is a place called Taqueria Doña Raquel. I think it's uh, Pompano, Pembroke Pines. It's Taqueria Doña Raquel and alongside they have a, a little tiendita, little, you know, uh, sh little shop that they sell tortillas and a lot of Mexican things. So I will say for me right now is Taqueria Doña Raquel. It's like a very, very tough question. It is very hard to find good authentic Mexican food, let alone in, in, in Miami, United States in general. I think I'll, I'll go for Doña Raquel. Although there's this place called, I think, the Taco Stand in Wynwood that it's, the tacos are really actually good. Uh, but yeah, you want a good uh, Mexican food, you got to go to Mexico. I get the same thing when people ask about like, when I look for like good, quote, New York style pizza or like kosher style deli down there. I mean, you could imitate it, but it's, it's not the real thing. Never. Great. We're going to take a quick break. But before that, we would like to give a very special thank you to the M2 Productions who are graciously hosting today for this recording. This is Howard Brand with the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. Yeah. 
And we are back. I'm joined today by the Lucky Twins, Maria Jose and Carla Noriega. You've worked with some pretty well-known global brands. You've worked with Hulu, with Lipton. Uh, I think Puma was another one that you've worked with. So um, you said that you create what's called branded film and branded content for brands. Um, we've talked about on previous episodes how digital content in all its forms, you know, particularly shorter narrative work, seems to be where a lot of things are heading. Creating things for the TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, digital. Can you explain to our listeners and really just talk a little bit more about what that means? It's not placing can of XYZ soda in a movie. Like it's not product placement. It's actually stories around brands, if I understand it correctly. I would love to take this. Um, you know, branding content is a, it's a very in- interesting new, I will say, blend between narrative and commercial work. But it's really more of basically like brand sponsoring stories and yes yeah, sometimes of course they like they will put introduce the product the same thing that you will see in like movies like as a um, product placement so you will want to record like a beautiful story of empowerment or x y or c but you know the the brand is basically sponsoring so it's, it's actually um i think a great tool for us filmmakers to especially when you're starting to be able to still focus on something narrative and at the same time to make some money basically the beauty of branding content is I feel brand supporting stories, as my sister was saying, but is you get to, as a filmmaker, you get to really put a lot of what you will put in a documentary, in a film, and express it in a very beautiful way, not a typical commercial, even though there's very cool commercials out there. Uh, we're in a really good time for commercials and, and branding content. But one of the beauty of working in branding content is you also, as director, creative, you get to express a lot of artistry. Uh, so, you know, for example, in our case, we love uh, female and empowerment causes and that's something we get to we tend to work a lot minorities representing minorities is something and and a lot of like these brands are coming now to us and being like as a minority director we want you to give voice um to these stories that we want to highlight and it's actually beautiful to be able to to tell those stories to share those stories to the world where otherwise nobody will be focusing that and to be able to have like this brand sponsoring this and this brand's, you know, highlighting this. It's very powerful. It is a privilege, I have to say, to work with these brands. We have worked with wonderful brands that are really supporting uh, really fantastic causes like the Hispanic heritage, uh, minorities growing. It is very beautiful to work in those because they really fulfill your soul as a creative. It's not only, yes, uh, they do, you know, they paid well, yes, but also at the same time, you you feel proud of what you're doing. So I think that's the beauty of branded content um, that we have been working with. Yeah, I mean, some of them, we've been focusing a lot in, in docu-style, like we more like a short form of seeing a docu um but there are some that do feel like a short film as a matter of fact and they do spin around the brand but at the same time if done well they really like have a very strong message that doesn't necessarily compete with the brand in there and it sounds like it, it hits a sweet spot where it's more than a commercial can go a little bit more in depth but doesn't go as far as a short film or it almost is, is a short film around that brand can you Maybe walk us through, for example, figure XYZ, thingamajig, you know, wants like a branded content. It's a new craft beer that's out. How does that start? We want to make branded content for our new craft beer. It's geared towards 20 to 30, out of college, but not yet finding their way, middle class people who are working as waiters and bartenders that want to drink their own, you know, want to drink something after work. Like they approach you and it's like, we want to dock you or we want some kind of branded content. 
about that? Like, what's the process of, of starting with that? So I would like to start with that. So first of all, one of the beauty is that we work with agencies and those agency and creatives, they come with a concept and then we get to pitch. They, they show us the, the concept and we get to pitch and show them and uh, make a treatment and show them this is the way we will handle this uh, story, this way we would love to get part of uh, the casting. And then after we do that, then we get to collaborate, you know, ourselves as the directors with the agency and creatives and also the brand who steps in and makes sure they're, you know, everything is aligned to to their violence and what they're looking for. And then, you know, we get to go ahead and and, and do, but, and shoot it and and then be part of the editing process. But their processes, um, and this could be regardless if it's, I mean, an agency or it could be a big uh, brand or it could be like a smaller one is that we kind of like have an idea of where we're going pretty much like a documentary and then we start interviewing the casting or the people and with those um answers with those um little like meetings that we have where we get to know these people where we get them to feel comfortable we start to develop a script even if it's documentary we develop a script and then that script is greenlighted by the client the agent and all that and then we go into the process of like um, storyboarding even if it's is documentary the process of pre-production production but pretty much is you'll treat it the way you treat a documentary basically talked about before we all went to the same film school and film school as the name says really focuses on film pure narrative three-story act structure character development and we always talk about educating on this podcast educating the future um, do you think the type of content that you're talking about is something that should be taught more in film school? Is it something that should make its way into the curriculum to just encourage students to think a little different from straight film, straight cinema, I think is a better term. I think it will depend on what is your goal and ambition as, as a filmmaker and as a student, uh, because not everybody wants to shoot this type of content. Like some people just come at me like, I just want to be a film director. I just want to be a, a producer. I just like, not necessarily, but what I do think is that um, you need more education around how to translate all of this knowledge of knowing how to shoot, knowing how to create into a, a real world setting where you learn how to make money from this. We, we need more education around business, but they don't teach you the business part. And that's one way to look at it, you know, creating branding content. Uh, me personally and, and my twin, our plan is like, I want to be creating. I want to be focusing right now on something that it's going to give me the resources to be living out of film and commercials, branding content. It's, it allows you to pay the bills and at the same time, keep polishing yourself and keep creating. So if that's in, in, and then eventually, of course, at the same time, we're working on short films, we're working on our, in a series we wrote, we're working on a feature film we were shooting by the end of this year. So it's a tool that we like to utilize, but it's not everybody's path. Now, I do believe strongly that when you're in film school, we need to be taught more and like more in depth. How do you transition from creating to making money out of film? Because it's very unclear. I was going to step in there because we did hit a wall as soon as we graduate. We had great feedback from our thesis film. And we came, of course, with this ego super high, which is not healthy anyway. We thought we're going to kill it in the outside world. We're going to get whatever job, whatever project we want. And turns out it was five years we went through film school. We have the, the privilege. And when we finish, we realize, okay, now back to zero. We also have the privilege. We didn't have to work. We were supported by our parents. Thank you, parents. Uh, so we were fully able to concentrate. 
But then at the same time, we we did some internship in a movie, but we didn't create those contacts. And even if we have SOA, I don't know if, if that had been enough. So we hit that wall and we gotta get to the real world and see, hey, how do I pay? How can I make films? They're so costly if I cannot pay the bills myself. So it, it was a big struggle that I feel there is that gap that definitely you can be better prepared. And branding content, I agree, is not everybody's path, but I feel in general, it will be a good rule of thumbs to teach how can you make money, not only films, but how can you even make money out of your films? Because there's, I heard before, there's been shows and movies that have been created by brands. Not, not We're not talking docuseries, we're talking even um, a movie made out of a brand because they want, they're paying, they want, they're, they have the money to make all of that brand, but they don't teach you that. And I feel Miami is a fantastic school. I'm not, you know, I, I'm very grateful everything they taught us become very prepared but that gap i feel that could be feel is where they teach you how to make money how to charge we didn't even know how to charge and being woman was even worse because you devalue your work we work for some companies that we literally gave our money just to create portfolio so i i will say my answer would be yes in general i think it'd be very helpful to teach you know the students how can you make money out of that how to charge how to value your time, how to make a quote for a client. And definitely, you touched on a good point. I, uh, I've spoken to a number of people, both professors and students at different film schools you know, around the country and all that. And it's that's a common thing. It's really, it's preparing you to like be able to like step on a set to work so that you're knowledgeable. You're not, you know, when you step on, if you're a PA and they send you for coffee, don't forget, you also need to get sugar, milk and stirrers to go with it. Like it's being prepared to work on a set, but it's how do you actually like, one thing I know if other states do this, but I know in Florida, if you graduate from film school with a bachelor's degree, you're eligible to join IATSE. You can join the union at like a discounted rate um, without having to, you know, show hours worked on that. So again, that's something I, I know we've been told about, but making um, students aware of really like the opportunities on it. And I don't know if that applies, how much that also applies to other majors and other professions. A lot of them are like, hey, you know, you have your accounting degree. Good luck. And good to know now that's it. But I feel definitely, yes, there's some preparation, but when you want to be a director, perhaps editor, there's some fields where you're like, how do I become a director? Yeah, I think that's also important that it used to be a linear way where you want to be a filmmaker, you go to LA, you get on sets, you start bringing coffee, your production PA, production assistant. Um, but it's not really the case when you want to be a DP, when you want to be uh, a director. You can do it if you're a producer. Yeah, I've heard many stories, although it's like a slower process. Really like what you have to do when you want to have those positions where you're like a art director, where you have like a, a creative authority position. You need to grade. That's it. Like, you want to be a director? You have to grade. Oh, you want to be a DP? You have to shoot. And then how can you start building that portfolio? How can you sustain yourself financially as you're growing your portfolio, as you're making that um, breakthrough? And I think that's, I mean, unions are fantastic. I, I have no like uh, opposition or anything, but I think if you're starting to actually join an union, I don't know how productive might be because there's some projects that uh, you're not allowed to 
to join if you're if you're union or vice versa. So yeah, it depends on the state. It depends on union versus right to work. I know enough to be dangerous, as I always say. So I I, I don't want to go too much um, into topic because I know in Florida it, it's a non-union, especially you know working when you've done student and independent films. If you want to get a SAG actor, they waive their SAGness to take part in that. So yeah, there's a lot of definitely. Um, yeah, we, we could do a whole another episode on what do you get and what can you expect from being part of the uh, the trade unions. If someone's listening to this, someone's in film school, and they're like, wow, Brandy Conte, that sounds really, really cool. And I, I like creating. I really want to start veering towards that, start preparing myself to work in that arena. What can they do? Well, I actually wanted to... My answer is going to be funny because I don't. it's related, but doesn't look like. Uh, first of all, we don't only do branding content we do short films we should feature films uh i mean we are about to shoot we write so it's not only you gotta stop at branding content right you can do branding content and do other things because the money would allow you to have the time versus if you have a nine to five time then it gets complicated but important advice is that you first need to work a lot on yourself because when you get out of school normally and i've seen these uh, students, they don't value their work. They don't value themselves. So the first thing they do when they come out is, or maybe they just self-learn, self-taught, is they put their work down. They don't value their time. So I'll say working on oneself worth some therapy and psychologies and group health can help a lot because we're young. We come with a lot of things that, and we don't value. We felt really the moment we start valuing ourselves, that's where other people start taking us serious because at the end this industry is about uh network and how do you do network you have to have confidence to talk to other people you you need to have you know the the social skills if you're very introvert if, and you want to be a director and don't want to talk to anyone we got a problem because <laughs> you have to talk you know find your way so i feel like i would go even back 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 to say one of the most important things is really to work on yourself uh, because that will allow you to grow in your career. And in a in a more like straightforward note, uh, if you're like a student and you're going to graduate and you want to like jump into really any type of content, branding content, music videos, whatever, you have to do something like create the portfolio, like start now. If it's a music video, branding content, whatever, just start looking at, you know, what people, what brands are doing and, and work for some brands and do that so you can have something to show. Yeah. And I think a key takeaway is also be open-minded. Don't like, don't say no to anything because if you want to work in this business, you're going to hear no about a hundred times more than, than you hear yes. So take an opportunity if someone's looking for a PA on a music video and you're like, oh, I don't like music videos. You know what? Like get as much experience, as much broad experience as you can. Well, I have to say, uh, I agree to disagree. Yes, don't take, I will say, actually, you have to learn to say no because you're going to have a lot of projects and people are going, I want you to produce, I want to do this. And then you're going to end up with no time for your own projects. So in my experience, learning to say no has been a really important stepping stone in my career because then whatever time I'm, it's being consumed on other person's project, I need to give it to my own project. So I agree to disagree in that. And that's a great point. And that's actually a good segue because you mentioned in addition to branded content, you do shorts, features, other things. We are going to talk about that in our next segment and how you balance all your projects. 
but uh, we're going to take another quick break. But before that, we would like to thank two of our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who's been a mainstay of the film industry since 1968, providing equipment, support, and training. And ComTV, who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment. This is Howard Brand. You're listening to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. And we are back with Maria Jose and Carla Noriega. I don't know if I told you all this. I grew up and worked in a family business. My parents, siblings, uncles, cousins, everyone, we were pretty much like the family in my big fat Greek wedding. It's an amazing way to grow up. There was a lot of joy that came with that, working with family, but there's also some challenges that come up. You know, we talked about the closeness between you, but working together. How do you two manage that? How do you collaborate together? Do you break up the you know, division of labor? Does one write, one direct? Do you 100% collaborate on anything? So uh, take us into your world a little bit. I'm laughing a little bit because I will say the number one thing to be able to work with somebody that you love, family, friend, it's therapy. And a lot of like uh, personal growth uh, work, I would say. that That's number one. Uh, we've gone through that process because of communication, X, Y, or C, you, like boundaries are more diffused when, when it's your family. But um, we have, through this whole process, through this time, we have find a, a, a process for communication where I know what is my, my strengths and my weaknesses. And then my sister knows hers. And then we're able to, you know, like focus on like, okay, you're going to focus a little bit more on this because this is your strength. I'm going to focus in a little bit more on this. But at the end of the day, it's also like having very clear uh, communication. That's kind of like, and trust. You need to be, if you're going to work with somebody this close, whether it's like a partnership, a director's duo, you have to have a lot of trust. If there's no trust, just don't, you know, don't get into the mess. Yeah, I agree. I was, I'm laughing because I remember, especially when we were doing our short films, our epic fights we would have on set and all the crew scare because we don't fight. We, we have war of whatever we think opinion is the best. And luckily we are a duo's director who can also work separate. Uh, we're not codependent of each other, but we add to each other. So I feel one of the, besides the therapy was key to work on herself individually. We didn't went to sister couples therapy. We each work on our own. And what happened now is because we grew, we know our strengths rather than trying to compete to who does the best. And we're twins. We challenge each other. That's like the competition is real. We, if you do it better, I can do it better. And that's, you know, uh, a big deal. But the teamwork we have been able as a matter of fact, along with the therapy, the moment we discover we can complement each other and help each other, and this is your strength, you do that, this is my strength, I do that, that's the moment we actually start becoming more successful. So yes, it's been a whole journey. We don't fight anymore. We discuss, even though sometimes, you know, a little fight might sleep there. We apologize. But now we enjoy working together. We enjoy being together. I mean, we're together all the time. Uh, even when, when we are away, it's everything we work remote. So that has helped us a lot. Teamwork. I will say though, we did not scare the set. They were probably laughing a lot at us. We think we're scary, but we're, we're just... Oh, to be a fly on that wall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and Carly, you, you bring up a good point point about, about complementing your skills. I think that's important no matter who you are, no matter what you do. It, it makes no sense to work with someone who is exactly like you. But even as you said about like self-discovery, you need to be honest with yourself. You need to know, okay, what are my weaknesses? What are my blind spots? And who can I find? Those are their strengths. So when you do have a disagreement, let's say you just cannot 
come to an agreement. What do you do? Do you have bring in a third person? Do you flip a coin? Do you have a running list of, hey, I got, I get this one because you got the last one? Like, how do you mediate that? So, what we do now is on set, for example, or even in the treatment process when we're developing the idea, like one of us is going to be in charge of a simpler example will be on set. So, usually, uh, my sister will be in charge of being with the talent and I am in charge of being with the DP. So like I'm behind the screen, looking at everything, talking directly to the DP and my sisters with the talent, you know, talking to the talent. So one of us, if there's something that comes up as far as um, talent performance, I talk to her, but at the end of the day, I have to trust her decision and vice versa. Like she trusts me fully. Again, it comes back to communication and trust. So, you know, kind of like giving that uh, dividing the responsibilities to be like, if something comes up at the end of the day, I can bring my opinion, but it's up to you, you know, the, the final decision. And that helps a lot to kind of like prevent any cases. We don't really run into, because of this same, all of this process in therapy, like we don't really run much anymore in disagreement, to be yes. quite honest. Yes. And I feel we have a great poison you know, a medicine out of poison because we have improved our system. So we have so many instances where we're in on set having a big epic fight about if you should do that or not that we decided to, okay, this is the problem, let's find a solution. So now what we do and has worked very well is for this project, you are going to be the main boy. So because we're on set, there's 50 plus people on set. Everybody, our director comes talk to one. The first AD talks to another one. And then we have instances where it was like, oh, your sister said it. So we, okay, you know, one of the two is going to be the voice of this project. I will respect her voice because I will trust her. And that will help us a lot, uh, you know, have a communication system where there's no disagreement. It's like, okay, I know this is her last word in this project. In another one, I'll have the last word. So improving system. I feel like you're reading my mind because you bring up another great point about having that one. I've been on projects where one, everybody wants to do everything and not stay in their lane. The person who, you know, is supposed to be that one voice isn't making decisions, want to do it by committee. What do you guys think? And there has to be someone in charge, but don't take that as that's the person who gets to boss everybody around. It's not like I've said, I say many times, there's a lot of people who want to be a boss, but they also don't want to take on the responsibility and the burden of being a manager and a leader on that. So somebody really has to be the leader because the time that can be wasted on making the decisions and no one's going to make the right decision hundred percent of the time, but someone's got to make it. Someone's got to make the tough one, but you have two great actresses auditioning for a role. Someone has to make that decision about who to cast in that role because the casting director may like this person and the director may like this person. The producer or whoever has to say, nope, I'm making a decision. It's that person because we can't spend time deliberating. I think definitely that situation is you encounter a lot when you're starting and it's a very amateur mistake. But again, we all start somewhere and as you grow and as you learn, you understand the process of communication and why you you need to have a structure of it's not, I don't like to say like like a king structure when somebody dictates. It's just more of a communication process. Uh, unfortunately, and it has happened a lot in history, 
a lot of people take advantage of that. And then you have directors that become, or producers or XYZ that be- become dictators. And, you know, they bring a lot of their, I will say, family dysfunction into set. But at the end of the day, once you understand that it is just a process to make things smooth, because you're always pressured with time, because you're always pressured with having so many things uh, at the same time. Um, yeah, I mean, reality is, is just like something that happens at the beginning. Yes, and I feel this is a great point because with power comes responsibility. And you, I mean, it's so amazing when things go well and, you know, you get a lot of good, uh, you know, feedback. But when things go bad, that's scary. So learning to accept that you're not going to be perfect and you're going to make mistakes, it's a huge one because, yes, it is very scary to be the one, you know, taking those decisions and that because there's a lot of responsibility but the reward is you know the more you do it the more confident you get and the more uh rewarding is that you gain your own voice so you have to accept i am gonna make mistakes and that's okay too the burden of that you know i was in the military and you know it's, it's a big leap from you know filmmaking to the military but you know the burden of leadership is what always comes up. I mean, you have to order people into situations where they may lose their life and it's big responsibility and it's not everyone can handle it. Like you said, you know, everyone's going to make mistakes. You're going to make wrong decisions. If all of us made, you know, the right decision 100% of the time, we'd be probably living on another planet somewhere because we'd be some kind of superhuman being. Uh, I want to go back, back to something we talked about, like the very beginning about when you both were growing up, completing each other's sentences, being one brain. Um, it sounds like you always had the plan to work together. Um, was there ever a time where you thought of just like each going out on your own or is this kind of always been the path you wanted to go on? No, as a matter of fact, we knew we both wanted to do film, but we never expected that we were going to end up directing together and, and working so closely together. I think it was more of understanding that together we were more powerful, even though at the beginning, when you're not in therapy, where you're, when you're not working on yourself, that seems like the opposite. So the more you work on yourself, you, you understand that there's a lot of people that are going to compliment you and that are going to make you stronger. And that's really like, it just, the more we heal, the more it came clear that we, we added to each other. But it was never really a plan. I think it's just start to like slowly. I have to say that I wasn't really decisive. I wanted to do this. Uh, I did have some set dreams and, and I always dream I was with people like more famous people and it was weird because they were my friends rather than, oh, wow, you know, it, it was interesting. So I wasn't really intimidated by those figures, but I feel what really was a, you know, a game changer was we have to direct. Uh, so we went to all Catholic school in Mexico and there was a big play. And then in this play, which was called instead of finding Nemo, it was finding Teresa because Teresa is like the saint that we handled. So somehow it voted out that we both were going to direct and then we also were the villains of the story but we will direct and we directed together and have such a great time i enjoyed so much i felt wow this is me this feels like this feels good and that's when i felt we both kind of decided okay we we can do this together when you co-direct and I know like one, you know, one will handle the talent, one will, you know, more work with the DP. But do you ever break it up by, for example, scenes or locations? Like one of you is going to direct this more intimate scene in the house, but the other one is going to direct this more of a party scene at, a, at an outdoor barbecue. Like, do you ever just like totally give each other one control over 
over the other one, depending on the nature of what you're filming? Because I've heard like whenever there's been dual uh, DPs on a set, that's like the best way. Like one, he's the DP for interiors. This one's a DP for exteriors, different strengths and things. I don't feel we have a specific agreement. I think it comes natural. But again, we're twins, you know, so we kind of read our minds. It's like, okay, I'm going to step in here. We have a project that we have to do. There was a lot of interviews and I immediately step in and my sister just stay in camera and I was the one doing all the interviews. And if there was any feedback, she would let me know. So I feel by intuition, uh, we kind of feel it. We And whenever maybe she feels I'm lacking or I feel something is lacking, then one step in and say, hey, I think this could be improved or hey, I think this. So I don't think necessarily we give each other. Now, one advantage is my sister is also an actress. So what happened is I get to direct her and we write together a story like the feature film we have or short film we just shot. And then uh, we agree on what is going to happen. And then she she leaves me alone directing on set, which sometimes is very nice. I have to accept. Uh, and she gets to do her thing. I get to do my thing. And that helps. And when you write together, that's another, because writing, I think, is what usually lends itself to the most collaborative piece of in filmmaking. Do you write side by side? Does one write and hands it off to the other one to do comments? Do you all like write certain scenes? So our process with writing is the same as with editing and many other like things is so we both bounce ideas and then one of us is in charge. Like for example, I am usually the one writing the scripts. Like I'm the one sitting down in a coffee shop for hours, like putting the words together, like bringing down the outline. And then once the, like once the script is ready, she'll read it, we'll give feedback, we talk about ideas, we like kind of like a writer's room. And then I'm, I go back and do the changes or editing for example like right now with the short film she's in charge of the editing we talk about ideas we look at it i give feedback she's the one that goes and like one person is in charge like sitting next to each other doing the same thing i think that's um i don't know if i mean maybe some people can do it but that's a little bit um i would say invasive so we we just somebody has the lead yeah it's hard i've tried to do it if you have you know not as close a relationship yeah one person is typing but like the other one is just kind of watching it and just kind of like gives feedback like in the moment as you're doing it. again like i think the important is it depends on on the situation so you both wear many hats you produce you direct you act you edit which is your favorite i will say definitely i'll stay between writing and directing it's hard to not step in editing we're very very involved in the editing because we really have a strong vision when we have a project so producing it was necessary but it's definitely i don't i don't feel it's our you know major craft because to produce and direct is it's just a lot to handle. I have a lot of respect for producers, but I feel uh, directing, uh, writing, directing, and getting involved in the editing process is one of her favorite and really strengths as well. I would say for me is like acting, directing, and writing. Um, and again, producing is something that when you're starting, you have to do. Like it's out of necessity, more out of oh joy. I have a lot of respect for producers. It's it's a it's a very like tough job. It's like 24-7. Um and as a creator it can really like invade your space. It could, you know, like you need to be more rested when you're creating. So I would say acting, directing and writing for sure. And you talked about editing. Do you prefer to edit your own films? I'll say no. I've I rather had an editor that you know, and we can give feedback because it's so much time consuming. Editing, even though 
I love editing and it's fun sometimes, but if I spend time editing, I won't have the time enough to be writing and directing. So I'll say my favorite process is having an editor and then, you know, stepping in and sometimes sitting and go over corrections and feedback. Getting very involved, but yeah, it's... You just, you know, like there's that point where you have to step back. A little and, bit. and yeah, like my personal experience is I enjoy editing my own stuff only because I'm like constantly thinking in a moment and like thinking. I also, sometimes it's hard to communicate exactly what you're picturing in your mind to someone else. And the opposite goes like I've tried editing other people's things and I just, it's just hard to put their thing together. Yes. And editing takes a lot of time. I think it's a very special skills. We have had the privilege to work with really fantastic uh, editors in the industry and it's very fulfilling to have someone kind of taking your vision and making it really great. I mean, still, of course, we have to communicate and say, hey, I rather this shot than this. I rather this transition and explain. But that's, you know, when you get better at communicating, it becomes easier process and you can let go you know of, of that i think at, at the beginning uh when you're starting it's great to be able to do everything i know everything so you can bring projects to life even if you don't have the the finances or the resources to hire an editor or hire this and that but as you grow and as you know as you walk path like a little bit more narrow it's it's okay to start focusing and dropping things and allowing other people to to chime in when you start out you're basically i call it a generalist like be prepared to do a, l- a little bit of everything and again that's the way you may do everything it's like oh i like doing this or you know i'm gonna go this way and uh Again, I, I give a lot of credit to both of you being able, able to work together because I, I know how hard it can be. Uh, we're going to take one more break and we will be back to conclude this episode. To our listeners, if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please support us by subscribing to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and giving us a rating and then head over to our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear, including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. Last of all, be sure to also follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Howard Brand, and we are talking today with the Lucky Twins, Maria Jose and Carla Noriega, also known as the dynamic duo female filmmakers. We talked about quite a lot today, a lot of interesting things. Really has been exciting to learn about a lot of what you've already done. Uh, but let's talk about what are you working on now? And what's coming up in the near future for you both? We're currently working on a short film we're finalizing. Comes a lot of, with the narrative of um, being part of the LGBT community. That's in uh, post-production right now. And currently our major project that we're working on right now, it's uh, fi- our first feature film, Opera Prima, that uh, we're shooting at the end of this year. We are rewriting the script for like the third time. Um, but yeah, that, that should be shot. That's going to be kind of like our major lip into the narrative world for this year. And that's kind of like our main focus besides still working in, in commercials and random content. Yes. And I wanted to add, we wrote a series called Las Adelitas and it's, um, it's a coming of age of this want to be a journalist and but she comes from a very privileged family and while she gets the internship she wants she discovers a lot of things about her family and the privilege she comes and all the corruption that happens and we got the fortune actually uh on this month of february we got showcased by this wonderful project called the attack of the ladies writers and they did a, a reading 
in front of you know uh, different people in the industry so we we have that and we're working to sign a, a deal for that series it's been a it was a long long time uh work so that's also another thing we have the short film feature film and a series that series sounds really sounds really fascinating um i guess called it a fish out of water is always something interesting to explore but then when you throw in like discovering family secrets Things like that. That always just provides a lot of, I'm sure, twists and surprises. Uh, that sounds really interesting. Excited for that one. Yes, and it was very fascinating because we had to do a lot of research. It was a project of two years of just creating and writing, and we got to use a lot of. Uh, we grew up in a lot of privilege in Mexico, and we're, we're very aware of it. And once we moved here to the United States, we were able to see all the things that were happening that we were just completely ignorant and. Things that were happening that were also we we were very close to because of our friends, you know, and, and family, but we never take a look on it. And mainly when when we talk about discovering family secrets, it's, um, a lot of the privilege that um, I mean, it's very personal because a lot of friends and relatives and people that we know that you know that your privilege can be coming from the other people's suffering. And how do you respond to that? Will you ignore it and be like, okay, they're, you know, like murdering these communities for the money, for X, Y, or C, for, for land. And you're enjoying the benefits, the material benefits of that. But if you are aware of it, what will you do? And this is what the character goes through, the process that she goes through, that realizing all the privilege I'm coming from, it's coming from destroying an indigenous community. And basically, that's kind of like the exploration of the series that, um, yeah, that we're working. It's interesting because it's a very timely topic, but it's also something that's been going on for, I mean, way, way too long is insane. And I mean, it's been going on forever. But I think, you know, people are finally starting to see what the real costs have been about that. And hopefully things change. But yeah, no, no congratulations to both of you for tackling that type of topic. Thank you. Thank you so much. And just to that, where can our listeners either follow you on social media or learn more about you and keep up with what you're doing absolutely um you can follow us on our instagram which is at lucky twins films or our website is luckytwinsfilms.com and if somebody wanted to just get in touch with you you know maybe just any questions learn more about you can they message you either through your instagram or through your website absolutely and our information is actually on our website and you can also message us on our instagram and we'll see it uh so absolutely is there a topic or you know, a genre, something you have not done yet that you really want to explore? I We're developing this, we, we call it the Lucky Twins genre, which um, it's not actually like like a, we're reinventing the wheel, but it's kind of like this like this genre of dramedy, but it, with our own like twist where you can cry and you can laugh and you can just like deal with very serious topics. Like Las Adelitas, like when producers or people will read it, they were like, but how this can be a, a dramedy and not a drama because it's like a strong topic we're dealing with corruption we're dealing with reality we're, we're dealing with three events and crimes and things that happen that are horrific how do you twist that how you're able to manage that in a sense that is um that you don't go to bed feeling like hopeless that we can still bring hope um to the world and i think spielberg does a great 
uh, job at doing that. So that's kind of like we're trying to develop our own genre, our own terms of how we want to handle this type of situations. Yeah. And I think for me, I love stuff like that. I mentioned the Coen brothers earlier and I love it. You know, you're getting this pressure built up, built up, built up, and then it's just popped by like something, not even like slapstick funny, but like something humorous. Like I think of in Fargo, when William H. Macy's character goes to the father-in-law with this deal, and it turns out that he's walking all depressed, you know, his wife has been, you know, everything is going to hell. And then he just like freaks out when he's trying to to wipe his car off and break the ice on that. Just these like things that break the pressure, then you build it back up again. It's a great roller coaster ride to the viewers. Yeah, absolutely. And I did want to add to that, I've been having a fascination for the history of Mexico. And in generally, in general, history. But I spend so much time listening to this podcast about, you know, history of Mexico that as I'm listening, I just found so many stories that I want to tell. So uh, to me, definitely like more of the pre-Hispanic culture of Mexico, you know, the the conquest that happened. Uh, A lot of, you know, history related specifically right now to to what is Mexico. It it is definitely a topic I want to personally strongly explore in in the near future, a period uh, more series and and stories. Uh, Of course, with always with LGBTQ characters uh, plus that don't die because that normally what happened to us in, in, in other you know stories but definitely I think that will be a very strong one uh, we both want to explore you know roots or history and everything that has not been told and speaking of LGBTQ plus it seems that South Florida has really become a big hub for LGBTQ plus central I mean outside of big studio system but for independent films at least it seems like a lot are gravitating a lot are being based down in this area, have you, how do you feel about that? Are you getting a sense of that, or is it just me? I um I've been in a out, yeah out fest like we've seen a lot of festivals. I've attended some of the the screenings. Um, I honestly like I don't think we're being very like very aware of that. That's I, that's good to learn now that it's it's happening a lot here. We 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 were not aware of it. A little bit of an existential question: If you were to go back in time and tell your ten-year-old self this is where you would be today, would you have believed it? Probably not. I would say no. I have never thought I was gonna even ended up living in moving to United States and in Florida. So to me, Carla, no, no, I don't think so. I think that's the answer for a lot of us. That was always interesting to think back. Like, what advice would you give your younger self? Also, you know, you mentioned about like your path, your journey. I think when you finally entered film school, you had a lot of life experience, quite a bit of life experience. Not everybody gets. How important was that life experience to helping you as you became filmmakers? Well, I want to answer uh, for me, Carla, I had a, I had to work as an au pair before coming to the United States because that was my dream, but I didn't know how to do it. So that seemed that the most reasonable uh, ways. So I took on a family that have two autistic kids and they were teenagers and I have so much eager to do so that I'm like, I'm going to do it. And I remember my boss in that time, he was really a fantastic man. He said, if you can do this job, you can do whatever you want in life. And I did it. And it was really hard. But then that rang to me, if I was able to do that, I can do whatever I want in life. And I continue with that in my head as I move forward, you know, in, in my career. But I will say also, like, coming back even further, like, all the, the struggles, the uh, you know, growing up as a lesbian in, in a very conservative uh, community, growing up with a lot of misogyny in, in Mexico, all of this poison that you can see, like all of these bad experiences actually always turn out something that you can 
transform when you become a filmmaker, when you become a career, any type of art, but it definitely shapes you 100% into what do you want to say to the world? Like now a lot of the, like we're focusing a lot of female empowerment. We're focusing a lot of like making um, LGBTQ plus characters inclusive. Like, I, I mean, basically your previous history before you create any type of art shapes the rest of like a lot of your art if not all of your art as a matter of fact feel like all those bad experiences and crises are like minerals to the water it just nourished your art and i think when you come to a point that i mean you work on yourself and heal yourself kind of grateful because you say if i haven't experienced that i would not have that mission to do this so and there's a term in buddhism that they say your karma is your mission and it is totally, the, the work we do, it has been shaped by those past experiences, those past uh, crises. So all those obstacles have actually been turned in our favor. And of course, you have to realize, get out of the victim mode, you know, in order to do that. But, you know, they enrich your life if you learn how to, you know, transform it. Yeah, I think definitely facing adversity and learning how to overcome adversity is one of, if not the greatest education you could receive, especially you, you both have talked a lot about um, learning oneself. And that's it. And again, as we said many times, it's a tough business. I mean, it's, it's as tough as there is. You're going to hear no a lot. You have to have fixing. You're going to hear not just no, you may hear, you know, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. This is horrible. This isn't going to work. If you're going to quit when you hear that, like get out now because you're, you're going to you know, face an even tougher uphill battle. Like, be prepared for the uh, the long run. Absolutely. But I also think it's important before you quit and before you're like, oh, I'm not going to be prepared for this. It's, again, and we keep coming back to this, like working on yourself, therapy, 12 steps, whatever you need, because there's a lot of us. Um, deal with the imposter syndrome, which is like really like not understanding your value, thinking that, you know, whatever you're doing, it's not worth it. Having this critical voice as you're writing, as you're directing, like, oh, they're going to, you know, like they're going to discover that you're, that you're um, a fraud, that you're not good enough. And actually, interesting enough, yesterday we were watching Bardo, you see even directors like Iñárritu that won several Oscars that is just top of the industry. Um, extremely talented dealing with this imposter syndrome so you gotta like really do the work so you value yourself and that you are willing to invest in yourself and keep going no matter what other people say but especially no matter what your inner critic is saying today especially there's so many different channels there's so many different mediums to access content not to make this about me but i i pitched a series to a network. They passed. Just wasn't the right series for them at that time. It doesn't mean that is not the right series for one, two, a dozen other networks. So yeah, be persistent. Exactly. And understand whenever the project is for you, it is going to be for you. It You're not going to get always a yes and no is more likely. And to have that perseverance and learning to accept, reject, but not taking personal, because uh, it could be many reasons why they didn't select you as a director or select your project or took you it just was not meant to be for you and in the longer term and i believe everything happens for a reason then you're going to be able to see oh if i have got that i would not be where i am right now so yeah like learning to accept, take reject which is really hard but you learn taking rejection yes that's definitely um you're gonna find more no's and yes yeah and we're not saying it's easy to take it it comes with the territory yeah i mean every time that somebody says no to you you're gonna feel it and you have to feel your feelings and you have to allow it to go through your body but don't stay there 
just keep moving. Don't allow the no to stop you because the yes will come eventually if you keep persevering. You both have shared both professionally what you've done as well as well, quite a bit of personal. Um, I think you're very inspiring to young women out there. I think you're definitely inspiring to uh, members of the LGBTQ community. You know, if there's like, say, a high schooler listening who wants to follow your path and there, you know, unfortunately, there's way too much bullying going on. There's way too much people already putting up obstacles that don't need to be there. Do you have any advice you would give them or, you know, any anecdotes you could share that kind of helped you through some of those things that you experienced? I think for me, and like one of the most important things, if you're dealing with that is you have to find the right community. And it doesn't matter if you're high school or whatever, like you have to find a community that accepts you the way you are, that you feel that you can be yourself, that if something's going on, they can like basically be a net of let's go back up. We can do this. So I think first of all, the most important thing is, you know, you have to find a community no matter what. And it doesn't have to be at school necessarily if you're experiencing bullying, like just outside we had a the fortune that while we were in screenwriting school, we found a classmate that invited us to some uh, Buddhist meetings. And then we started attending. That really has been the backbone of our careers. Uh, we've experienced so much growth, but because we have a very strong Buddhist community that they're so positive and always like cheering us up and telling us, dream big, don't give up. You're worth it. You're like a Buddha. You're, you are, you can say like a Jesus or whatever, but you have the the potential and you have the, the ability to do whatever you make your mind for. So I think community is very, very, very important. Communities out there, you just have to like find it. Yeah, and it is hard because in high school and specifically talking, you are, first of all, your brain is not mature enough to understand, you know, that if they reject you, that does not affect your value. Your value because you're you. So you have so much fear of being rejected. You want to belong to. And I I think this is something anyway, a lot of people experience regardless if they're in the closet or not. But I will say, I mean, first of all, value yourself. How do you do that? Find good friendships. Uh, Find people that really care for you and love you and that you know, and you know when someone is going to accept you for who you are, you know, regardless. Uh, That will, to me, will be one of the first ones. But another two will be to watch movies that, like, when I was inside of the closet, I would watch a lot of The L World. When I saw the trailer, I was like, they read my mind. They understand me. Go find your community. Uh, Believe in your voice. Work on yourself. Surround yourself with people that are going to love you unconditionally. If that group that you you know that if you come out of the closet are going to reject you, that's not the good kind of friends. When we came out of the closet, I was lucky enough to find such a great support from friends and even family. And that's because I first learned what is good friend and what is about friends. So that helps a lot. And be proud of who you are. I mean, everything they're telling you is really their own fears reflected. So it's going to get better, especially as you grow older, it's going to get better. It's great. Thank you so much for uh, opening up, up to that. I think it's, like I said, very inspiring to uh, you know young people, especially young women out there. Uh, this has been one of my favorite episodes that I've had a chance to, to uh, record. You two are, are both amazing. We have loved having you on the show. I will welcome you back anytime. Excited to see the series and the other features, things that you're working on. And uh, just want to say thank you for today. It's been a pleasure having you. The pleasure was ours, actually. We really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having us. It's been such a fantastic... It's been hard to not talk because it's been such a fantastic uh, atmosphere and environment. So we we thank you all for you know this opportunity. Thank you. And uh, let's go make films. <laughs> let's do it. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. 
Our director is Miguel Miller. Our producer is Juliette Desan, along with associate producer Victor Ferreira and executive producer Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send any comments, suggestions or feedback for future episodes be sure to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to join us for our next episode where we will continue to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway podcast this is the Cinema Pathway podcast we'll see you next time lights out